Hello and welcome to episode 41 of Pixel Sift. Each week we dig into the world of games and collect rupees and hearts galore. Each week my co-hosts Scott and Mitch join me on this quest. And our wonderful video producers James and Vaughn produce the video you might be watching right now. Hey Ned Flanders. (laughs) (laughs) To everyone on the podcast, I have a moustache this week. So, uh, First up today, though, we're joined by Jane Cox. She's from the brand new organisation, Checkpoint. Checkpoint is an organisation, we're a non-profit organisation, and what we do is we provide consultancy, advocacy and resources to join up the fields of mental health and video games. That interview coming up later in the show. Yeah, we're also talking games and politics. It seems that politics is everywhere at the moment, and we'll be talking about how games explore that. Uh, And finally, we're looking at some of the raw numbers from the world of esports with another prize pool breaking the records. Let's jump into it. Pixel Civ! It's not Pixel Civ, it's Pixel Sift. Pixel Civ! Tuh! Alright, so a quick look at r slash Australia or any other media outlet, and it becomes very clear that politics is just dominating the airwaves right now. And along with high-profile campaigns running in the US, we've got to be thinking, how is this affecting the games we play? Very good question, Mitch. <laughs> well it is put, a very good well question. Put. There's, politics is obviously something that's of, we were talking about history in a couple of you know previous episodes. Mm-hmm. It's something that is very human. Um, it's something that is very applicable to lots of different people from all over the world. Um, and it's something that we can all pretty much relate to. A lot of us would probably go out there and say, look, we you know, hate all the politics of, of everything. But it is something that we do talk about constantly. Yeah. So, you know, we, we kind of want to look at this and see how games are actually kind of exploring the world of politics and sort of the, the relationships that people have with each other through the political spectrum. Yeah, so uh, the thing that brought this up was that Andy Chalk just wrote down a quick article on um, PC Gamer and about the uh, new expansion or update to Extreme, a Supreme Ruler, and it's called... and then um, So it's a modified version of the American AI that is based on Donald Trump, <laughs> if he takes power. Supreme Ruler, Trump rising. Yeah, Trump rising, <laughs> it says that. <laughs> and... Um, <clears throat> It says, uh, it quotes, to China and Russia, the new U.S. president seems to be unpredictable and reckless. <laughs> Toward Yeah, so. well, you know, this is something that obviously people are very uh, into at the moment. Uh, Parody is a big, a big thing when people are kind of disagreeing with some of the, the politics that you see uh, in the world. And, you know, you can see more and more uh, Trump-related uh, games and expansions, I'm sure. And there are quite a few out there. Um, you found a list, have you? Oh, I, I haven't got a list, but I, I just picked like my favourite. I guess yep. there's a few Trump-related ones, but the one that I really liked the most was called Trump Toss, uh, and it's basically <laughs> it's basically a wall, yep. and you've got some American citizens on one side and yep. Mexico's on the other, yep. and there's a bunch of Mexicans mixed up in your uh, American kind of citizenships, and you've got to throw them over the wall. <laughs> oh, wow, nice. It's pretty rough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, one of the best things about games is that it does have the opportunity to kind of explore the way that politics kind of happens in the real world through that sort of level of abstraction. It, um, it, it does seem that it's heavily centered around satire, though. Like, I mean, um, the games 
that seem to be popping up in mainstream media, like for example, Bronwyn Copter. Do you remember that? Oh, Bronwyn Copter. <laughs> Bronwyn Bishop rented or like chartered that helicopter for like a, I think, a very short trip, and like it's just. I would think it was for like a. Um like a voluntary or charity speech or something. Really. Yeah. Yes. And then, it was yeah. like a 30-minute drive, but it was like a... It's only five minutes by chopper, though. Take the chopper. Yeah. yeah. Get through the chopper. Mm. Um, you know, there is a lot of that that reduces sort of parody, but you've there are other examples. For example, games like Civilization, mm-hmm. um, where you have to deal with a world, dem- uh, you know, democratic and diplomatic uh, situation where you have to sort of work out between different cultures and, and, and nations how you can fit in the world. You know, I've had situations where I played, you know, many hours of this game where, you know, there's someone who's a, a nearby border or maybe not that nearby and they've got a resource that you need. And, you know, you try the first things because obviously you try to trade with them, but then it, it becomes very tempting to just go and roll some troops across the border. Um, you know, <laughs> like we could diplomatically sort this out, but, you know, kind of not giving me the deal I want and I could yeah. probably just walk over there and take it. Once like, I just get in there, I'm not going to do much I about could just it. take it. I've got a much better army than you and I need jets. Okay, so, so, so essentially... Okay, USA. So Civilization turned you into the Blitzkrieg, pretty much. Is that what happened? Well, it's it's very like in a in a miniature. That's kind of the you start to understand the motivations why sort of nation states sort of do behave in this particular way um, because it, it is a simplified version. You need a mm-hmm. resource. Someone else has got this resource. You can try deal with them in a diplomatic way. It might cost you a lot of money or there's other ways to deal with it. And mm. some of those ways do have consequences. Like usually when you go and invade someone, everyone around you declares war on you because you're not a good global citizen yeah. but you know that sort of thing has happened in history and it's, it's, it, it, yeah, yeah, sorry, it really on. makes a lot of, lot of sense I mean there's other ones as well uh, one of the games that uh, really uh, resonated with me is a game called Papers Please yep. um, which is set in sort of an oppressive government and you're a, you're a border guard basically uh, determining whether people can get through uh, the, the the checkpoint basically and people present to you with all of the documents that they have some people are okay they've got all the documents some people don't have the documents but they've got legitimate reasons for trying to get past so they say so they say and you've got to try and make that decision whether you think this person can come through or not and it has impacts on your own personal life in the game as well paying your rent and all of these things and you know that sort of is a very good example of how someone can be kind of caught up in this system that they themselves may not want to be doing bad things Personally, and really interesting game that one. Should check definitely check it out. Yeah, and how they can actually be caught up in a system that, you know, gets carried away. That you can't An- kind of win. Another example of game like of games and politics mixing is some organizations will use games to I guess put forward their political motivation. For example, that Genius. Peter a game. It's like um it's like that Pokemon ripoff that they made um in two thousand thirteen. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> oh Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Peter yeah. for the animals, yeah. Yeah, and um, so they They've used... actually made quite a few games. And I, I was giving it a go just then. And, I mean, to their... I, I don't want to credit them, but it, it's actually... It, it's, a, it's a fairly competent rip-off Pokemon. The, the only thing I'd ever compare it to is probably the Rick and Morty game. Yeah. The, the Pocket Morty. So, but, <laughs> Pocket Morty. But, like, it, this, it, like the, I mean, for a Pokemon rip-off, it's actually a pretty good Pokemon rip-off. And when you to think their about credit. it... Well, but, when you think about it, that's the, how you do actually have good analysis of these things, is that you actually take something that people understand and then change the context slightly. Yeah. And then you can go, well, actually, when you think about it... Like, if you think about it, Pokemon is like... You're getting a bunch of animals to beat each other up constantly. Exactly. And uh, in, it's, uh, yeah. but, it's not, not a great existence for what, them. What's funny about it is they, they reference things in Pokemon. So the person that made it has obviously played Pokemon and done their research. I, yeah. mean, I mean, so I guess they're bending it and warping it and to their own weird agenda. But mm. still, I mean, 
There is it's an a, example. There is a uh, Australian-based political uh, game. I guess it's an app, and it's supposed to be a game, but it's very basic. It's called Malcolm versus Bill, Liberal versus Labor, the Australian <laughs> political showdown, or the Australian politics showdown. That's made by our mostly good apps. Yeah. Very basic. You choose either Labor or Liberal, and you're basically not. You're not supposed to let the other side get through <laughs> through Parliament. I guess. <laughs> no, pretty um, pretty accurate little, depiction, little though. I guess. Box. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the little ballot box that you got to kind of like flip. Um, but yeah, it's it's more of a laugh kind of. It doesn't like those the Trump toss, uh, which is on GOP uh, Arcade. If anyone's interested, another all of those games. Sorry, I'll just say all mm. of those games are really kind of satirical and are, are, are saying something uh, mm. like Trump toss. There's uh, thoughts and prayers and thoughts and prayers is one I want to talk about. It's okay, one of the I'll most interesting on. ones on that site. Basically, it's sort of a criticism of the way that the the U.S. gun debate goes in America. That quite often uh, politicians will just say. We'll, we, you know, we give uh, our prayers are with our prayers, know, our thoughts and prayers are, are with, with X, with the victims of X. Mm. You know, and this always happens when there's a big crisis or you know some uh, catastrophe, basically, and there isn't a way for you to actually do anything in the game to solve the problem. No, you just kind of have to put out the platitudes. So one of the other ones I really liked was um, good good guy with a gun. Yeah, and basically you're a gun uh, shop owner yep. and you've got three tiers worth of people that come up to you so there's like this guy that looks kind of crazy there's this old lady and there's a kid and you give them their guns and all of a sudden someone backfires and shoots you the point is you obviously don't know who's going to be a good guy um, and all of the games are basically like that really kind of strong uh, satirical funny but not a lot of depth and I think game. that's a good way for people to kind of understand these these topics as well because you know it can be you know, you know quite tiring to see these debates go back and forth Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of slogans get thrown around and kind of breaking it down to this really simple level where you can kind of just see that this is a ridiculous thing Mm. that we're dealing with. You need to make that. You need to show the ridiculous side of it because stats and logic obviously don't work in this kind of battle because there's too much, uh, you know, personal whatever. But games like this really kind of um, breach that uh, topic and that ideal uh, very well. Yeah. Perfect thing for comedy and perfect thing for games to kind of explore. Yeah, so. awesome. I hope there's a bit of a more of a future in that, especially for Australian politics, because that is the Australian app, as funny as it is, and it's kind of a little bit hysterical, but it doesn't really say much, not like the GOP arcade ones. Yeah, we did mention um, a lot of American examples, but like, if you yeah, have any Australian was, examples, let I, us know. I tried to. Like I said, that, that was yeah. the only app I found. Yeah. Mm. Let's yeah. jump into our next topic. Pixel Sift. No, seriously, Pixel Sift. (laughs) No, seriously. Pixel Sift. Earlier today, Mitch and I spoke to Jane Cox. She's one of the founders and the director of the new non-profit organization, Checkpoint. We talked about the representation of mental health in games, what games can do to help with positive mental health and addiction. I'm Jane, um, Jane Cox, and um, I'm a PhD candidate and a researcher of psychology and games. Checkpoint is a, an organisation, we're a non-profit organisation, um, so we're basically bringing health to games and games to health, and we'd really like to advocate for the use of, positive use of video games in health settings and um also um, talk about mental health and uh, get a greater awareness of the issues around mental health and representation in video games as well. So ultimately, um, what we're aiming to do is, uh, is, I guess, be the bridge between those two fields. 
Now, games are starting to be used a bit more for, for health and not only mental health, but also f- uh, physical health uh, conditions as well. Where yeah. are some of the, I guess, the things that people need to work on or where, where are the, some of the gaps that you're trying to bridge? Yeah, okay. So I guess what we'd um, like to do is um, increase the knowledge um, of health professionals and people in in medical and psychological fields about video games and just provide education about the different games that are out there and the different kinds of technology that can be used in healthcare settings. Um, Like there's a great wealth of games that are being made now. You might have heard the term um, like serious games, um, games that are actually designed not purely for entertainment, like they're designed with other factors in mind, whether that be increases in uh, in well-being and quality of life and mental health or whether it's education or training and that kind of thing. Um, so there's a lot of games out there that are not just for entertainment now. Um, I guess we'd also like to um, improve um, the representation of mental health issues um, within games um, and then just strengthen the evidence for video game technology in healthcare. What do you think of Um, the representation of mental health in games as it kind of exists at the moment? Yeah, look, it's it's getting better than than it used than it has been previously. Um, so we're seeing initiatives um, like the um, Asylum Jam, for example, which is run. Um, in New Zealand and um, what that aims to do is, um, particularly with the horror genre, um, there is generally this um, misrepresentation um, a lot of the time in the horror genre of asylums and mental health as something that's scary and something that is just frequently used and overused, in fact, in video games to elicit those fear responses in people. So it's about breaking that um, stereotype down and that representation of negativity when we're talking about mental health issues, that it is something that is common and it is something that's okay and we don't need to use it to elicit fear in our games Um, and so that asylum jam for example is to create games in that horror genre without resorting to those um, to those typical stereotypical um, you know asylum themes and mental illness themes so it is getting better Um, there's still work to do (laughs) does the media that people kind of consume impact their likeliness to go and seek help if they need help yeah, that's a great question. Um, and that's, you know, that's probably a really good study to, to do, to be honest. Um, it, I, I think it does, you know, anecdotally, I think we're more likely to relate um, to to characters and to um, media that is sensitive towards conditions um, that we identify with. And um, so, yeah, I, I think it, it would have an impact. But again, you know, this is something which really needs to be studied. Now, mental health uh, issues are the number one health issues that affect young people. Do you think the media that's sort of tailored towards young people needs to do a better job at describing and sharing that experience for others so that we can kind of understand it better? 
Yeah, look, absolutely. And, you know, it can be done in a number of ways. It can be done really abstractly by presenting games and interactive experiences that just display that um, these mental health issues exist, um, but they're not really the primary feature of the game. And in that way, communicate and um I guess, normalise that, you know, this this is something that, that happens in society and this is how that character deals with it. Um, and then you can have other, other games and other interactive media that tackles it um, quite directly. And so we have... Um, games such as um you know reach outs orb which is is based on um young people and mental health issues and it's specifically designed to um build skills in relation to increasing your socialization and and um and actually um develop skills to help you with your mental health issues so you know there's kind of two really good approaches with um, with tackling those mental health issues among young people and uh, and there's a lot of evidence to suggest that those are both successful um, with illuminating mental health issues with young people and also assisting them. What, what are some of the really good examples you think of, of games that have kind of done it really well have you mentioned orb just there but some you know maybe uh, titles that people might know of where they've they've you know looked at mental health uh, issues and they've kind of treated them in a fair and, and, and reasonable way. Immediately what comes to mind is um, games where um, I guess um, diversity and, and um, you know, personality and health issues and all of these things are kind of tackled um, together is games like uh, Life is Strange, um, games like Gone Home, um, yeah, and um, they, they're, they're not, this is what I was talking about before with the, the first kind of game where these issues aren't tackled specifically, they're just kind of part of the story, part of the game experience, um, whereas, um, you know, Orb, for example, is designed specifically for that purpose. Um, but, you know, I think both of those games that I've mentioned really tackle sensitively um, some mental health issues and, you know, issues of coming of age and growing up and dealing with different circumstances that might be stressful. I was going to ask, um, what are your thoughts on game addiction and what is your opinion on games that are designed to be as addictive as possible and how does that relate to mental health? <laughs> yes, that's a really great question. So, um, yeah, I guess, um, I guess I have to say that um, game addiction um, definitely um, has been focused on as an area of research, very much so in the past and the negative impacts of gaming and people are addicted to video games. And um, so there's a lot of research about that, um, about games that are addictive and uh, all, all games are negative and this kind of thing. Um, a lot of the research now is uh, moving in the direction of um, video games and playtime, such as moderate playtime, is actually very beneficial um, for you. In fact, there's been just recent studies that have been done that have um, shown that moderate amounts of video game play um, are actually more beneficial um, in terms of mood and mental health than 
groups which do not play video games at all and groups which play excessively. So I guess the excessive video game players, it's not necessarily specific games, but it's more about the fact that um, those um, people in that group um, might be getting um, a lot of their needs, psychological needs satisfaction from playing particular games. You mentioned earlier that we need to change the way we think about mental health issues. Um, how could we use video games to help with that process? And how can the characters we encounter join us on that journey? Yeah, look, absolutely. So this is uh, a great example of just autonomy and character agency is that, you know, these struggles can be very real and very identifiable for players and they'll... um, almost, you know, insert themselves into the character and experience those things and then that can actually be part of game experiences in overcoming those difficulties. Jane Cox from Checkpoint there. You can visit checkpoint.org.au for more information. But if you need to chat to someone now about how you're feeling or if you need some help and you're in Australia, you can call Lifeline on 131114, 24 hours a day. Visit us on pixelsift.com.au. So it's been a while since we've touched on the topic of esports, and this time, unsurprisingly, it has only grown bigger. Uh, today's final topic, we'll be looking at the money involved and surrounding these esports leagues in what is quickly becoming a, comp- a competitive set of tournaments to rival the world's biggest, monetarily speaking, of course. And the world's biggest, monetarily speaking, is... Uh, <laughs> it puts him on the spot. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I've got my stats there. Okay, so um, this is overall prize pool-wise. Yep. Um, the international, which is uh, last year's international, um, $18.4 million. I'm not going to go into the rest of the digits. Yeah, it's not yep. important. Uh, and that was for a, a Dota 2 tournament that had about 16 players, about 80, 80 competitors in that all up. Um, as far as individuals, though, um, the highest um, one is about $510,000, and that goes back to 2005 for the CPL World Tour Finals. They were playing Painkiller, and there was about 32 players. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, as far as individual, it drops down. It's quite weird. It's all The, the first two are all about 500000 but um, it's the games that really get me. Um, actually, no, so let's switch to the overall prize pools. Mm. As far as the games, the top seven uh, are all Dota 2. The top two prize pools ever are all Dota 2. Um, and then it goes to Smite. And the first, like, known kind of commercial game that, you know, known to non-gamers... And a game that you can pick lot. up in a shop. Exactly. I, I yeah. was about to say, known to gamers and non-gamers alike. So yeah. they're just a part of, I guess, our pop culture. Halo 5, that's in at number 9. The next one that comes in that you know is Call of Duty at number 16. I think All the, the way most, down there, Call of Duty. Yeah, right? Huh. Um, right. And then it's Call of Duty for, like, three or four in a row, and then right. Counter-Strike, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing I find the most most amazing about this, and it's why I'm kind of so fascinated about esports, is it's kind of existing completely separate to the commercial kind of 
uh, pop culture ideals. So that, like, unless you're in gaming, um, you don't know really, you won't know what Dota Two is. It's not a household kind of name, not, not in Australia anyway. I don't know what it's like in the rest of the world. And League of Legends is in there as well. And you could say the same about that. Um, it's, even though they are such massive games in the gaming world, outside of the gaming world, they're not really known of. Mm. Like Smite, I don't. I, I know people that play games that don't know what Smite Smite's is. Smite's number eight. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I I love Smite. Smite's awesome. But I know people that play games and love games and they are like me and they don't know what Smite is. Well, obviously, they've got a very, very strong niche. And these niche uh, are very happy to, to, you know, shell out the cash. In the case of Dota 2, so for this year's tournament, uh, last year was 18.4. That's correct. Do you want me correct. to go down the runders? Yeah. This, uh, I'll go back. This to year's tournament is now currently sitting at more than 18.6 million. Whoa. So, well, y- you know, and they, that is the... F- and who can win that? Who wins that prize like the best people in the world basically so they have yeah. a bunch of inter- like the international is the big one they have a bunch of majors where they have sort of like the preliminary events and then they bring them along to this uh, big thing in mm. Seattle's uh, 16 teams was last year I don't yep. know how many teams are going to have this year 16 teams of 5 yep and so the fascinating thing about this and we've talked about this like I think in about our second or third episode um, was that they fund this through an in-game item that they sell to players of the game something called a battle pass um, and that gives you access to items and, and and promotional stuff but it also gives you access to watching the tournament as well mm-hmm. um, and you know that is all money that's been generated from this pass and you know that 18 million dollars we're talking about there that's prize money right yep. yeah. so that's attracting people who are going to be you know divvying up for that particular thing but there is probably countless you know countless millions of dollars sitting in the background for all of the Promotional, the um, you know infrastructure, all the spending of that, it, the travel costs. You know that eighteen million dollars is what we see as as, pe- as customers, basically. As, it as is consumers. one of the only things like this where other sporting events they are sponsored by a company or like the organization fronts up the money for it and things like that. But this is could you imagine if the, the AFL? People. You imagine if the AFL would like make a prize pool of money based on the tickets? They from- would not get eighteen million. That's <laughs> well, for sure. Yeah. No, but also you couldn't yeah. fit huge amounts of people in, in one that's stadium true. there's actually yep. a physical finite space in these spots so you know there is a you know there's a inherent advantage of being an online digital media in that you can have 100,000 people watching without having to rent out a 100,000 person stadium the thing that I really again find fascinating about this is the growth of it like uh, the same um, esport tournament that the international if you go back to uh, 2011 or 2012 it was like a 1.6 million dollar prize pool so from 11 to 12 they jumped up 13 it was 2.8 in 2014 it was 10 million in 2015 it was 18.4 and like you said it's it's, 16, it's, it's, it's gone 6, over that yeah yeah um you know like in in 2015 there were 112 major esports events uh, that generated an estimated 20.6 million dollars in ticket revenues um, so the title prize money for all the esports held in 2015 in general was 61 million dollars that's a 70% year like year on year increase like it, it's just it's an exponential growth it's incredible i wonder though will all of these tournaments be able to exist into the future you know one of the things about sport is that you often have codes that are going to be regionally Restricted AFL, for example. Okay. Cricket's only kind of played in the Commonwealth and a few other places. But, yep. you know, uh, American football, which is a huge sport, huge, but 
very limited appeal outside well, let's of go the United back States. To what we were talking about last week a little bit with with gaming culture. Yep. Like, gaming doesn't kind of have a set kind of uh, you know home, I mm. guess, internationally or whatever. Whereas the games you're speaking to, the tr- traditional versus games, I guess uh, we'll call them. Um, they're, they're culturally significant. NFL, AFL, whatever, cricket, you know, like you said, Commonwealth, they draw back to a kind of historical point and whatever. So this is why I wonder, though, because if you've got all these places around the world that all enjoy this one experience, you're only going to have limited amount of time to watch any of these codes. And you're never going to be, if you're a true, true fan, you're probably not going to be across every single thing. Well, so how are, are they all going to be able to survive once this gets to... You know, well, is there going to be a peak? There. The global esports audience, uh, again, well, I've only got figures from last year, like because obviously we haven't finished this one yet. Yep. But uh, 226 million gamers, um, that was the esports audience for last year. Um, the, number of, the number of esports enthusiasts reached $115 million. Again, I'll, the growth I'll, for that uh, the year was 27%. I would just like to point out that the number, like the battle passes, for example, the most expensive one is twenty six dollars ninety nine cents USD. It's now, it's important to note to for a free look game, at, but it's every year though. Yeah, but if you look at it, twenty five percent of all battle pass sales go directly to international, the twenty sixteen international prize pool. So right. a quarter of every dollar cent basically uh, spent is goes to the prize pool. So take $18.6 million and times it by four. Yeah. And you can work out the number of... So the amount of... by three and that's what they're, they're actually, you know... Earning. Taking home, yeah. yeah. I'm not saying... I'm not like criticizing or anything, but that's just the volume of money moving through video games in 2016. In esports, yeah. Especially yeah. in Dota and... and you know, this is, this is phenomenal money. It's, you know, it, it's, it's unbelievable money. Well, do you want to hear the global revenue uh, reached for 2015? Lay it on us. <laughs> this <laughs> just, is numbers just, heavy. You know, well, you know how much I love my numbers. Yeah. Um, $325 million. That was the global revenue for uh, last year, um, which is, I think, a growth rate of like 67%. I think in North America accounted for $121 million of that 325 So quite a significant Games are already China bigger and than, Korea are the other one. That games are already bigger swipe. than movies. The the game industry, yeah. and that's bigger just, than Jesus. And now with esports on top of that, it's almost its own category. Then you know this is definitely something very, very big. But yeah. I'm sure that's not news to you. Wow. But what might be news to you is that this is the end of the episode. So wow. We've reached the Sorry. end of episode 41. Thank that's you. Did that segue come with that mustache? <laughs> <laughs> and what a mustache. If you're not viewing this on Twitch or whatever, please go and have a look. I'm going to post something a screenshot on like Twitter. Curled up on Johnny's lip and died. <laughs> Golden Glade. Small animal. Golden Glade says go sports. Small which, animal, uh, massive animal. Thank you for that, Golden Glade. Go local look, sports team. Look, let's not talk about my mustache anymore. Okay. Uh, thanks for joining us today on episode 41 <laughs> of Pixel Sift. We'll be sticking up links in the show notes for this episode on our website which is www.pixelsift.com.au If you've been enjoying the show we'd love to hear from you Um, you can jump on social media you can send us an email to hello at pixelsift.com.au Scott if people want to jump on social media people jump on social media and you can find us at facebook.com forward slash pixelsift twitter.com forward slash pixelsift twitch.tv forward slash pixelsift and youtube.com forward slash pixelsiftau and Mitch yeah, um, other episodes. Yeah, other episodes can uh, forty episodes just like this one can be viewed on our website mm. and um, on YouTube. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you can also get them on iTunes, Pocket Casts, and the links on our page. You can subscribe yep. as well. So feel free you to do, do that. that. Leave yep. us a review, rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. So thank you very much for joining us. Peace out. How about that Vaughn guy? How about some more of that? Yeah. More of that. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> See ya. Picture, picture.